Hello everybody and welcome back to the Drum Network Podcast. I'm senior reporter for The Drum, Chris Sutcliffe. Over the past couple of weeks, we've been running our data deep dive, really taking an in-depth look at how agencies are using data, what that means for the relationship between client and audience, and about data gathering in general. But for this podcast, uh, aimed to be a bit of a wrap-up session and a wash-up of everything that we discussed over the course of the deep dive, I'm joined by three absolute experts to discuss how their agency and their organizations are treating data, whether that is as leverage when they talk to agencies, whether that is as an opportunity to develop their own skills internally, and ultimately as an opportunity to deepen the relationships which we have with our audiences and consumers. To begin with, I asked all three of them to introduce themselves. Yeah, hi. Uh, my name is Justin Scarborough. I am Senior Director of Programmatic at PMG. We are an agency, independent agency based out of Fort Worth, Texas. We have offices across the globe, including New York uh, and London. And I have been here for about four years, but been in the programmatic space for over a decade, uh, really since the, the beginning of, of programmatic media, sort of a, a, a digital media um, medium, so to speak. But I've also been in digital my entire career so just over 15 years um so nice i was gonna say that's, Thank you. that's very much from the start of programmatic kind of as a as a regimented discipline so that's fantastic yeah. and ashley and then same question to you who are you and where are you from hi uh so my role currently is regional director based out of dublin and ireland working with jellyfish which is a global media and communications company um, spent a number of years in our London office heading up the training team focusing on analytics and, and measurement and advanced marketing analytics and before that uh, at Google spending six years with um, you know small and medium and enterprise clients so yeah we're a full service media agency jellyfish. Nice fantastic and last but not least Ryan same question who are you and where are you from? I'm Ryan and I am the conversion and analytics director at Adapt Worldwide so uh, my team look after measurement and analytics and improvement of websites for all of our clients. We're a digital marketing agency. We're owned by Translation Group, so mm. we take companies global. Basically, that's our that's our, our main goal. Nice, fantastic. Well, from that, I'm sure the audience will get the sense that we do have a very sort of holistic overview now of everything that's going on with data. And as part of the Drums uh, Data Deep Dive. We're going to really examine what space is left for agencies, whether agencies should be data specific or have you know internal experts on it, and basically what we think the future of data use is going to look like. So to begin with, Ashton, I wondered if you could tell us, since first-party data is really climbing the priority list and climbing the agenda for publishers, platforms alike, and you know even in individual businesses, where does that actually leave the agencies who are kind of set to, I suppose, take advantage of that increased data use? Well, Chris, it's something that we've always been um, emphasizing the importance of with our clients. So speaking from a measurement point of view, first of all, um, you know, we've never just collected data for the sake of it with our clients. We've always looked at um, what is the purpose of that data? How actionable is it, go actionable is it going to be? Um, you know, do the tools and platforms that that client use from their MarTech architecture point of view actually all talk to, to one another to make sure that that's actionable? So definitely in more recent years we've gotten more into more tech architecture reviews and um and building out the data science function and being able to help clients and assist them through modeling that data um but of course there's a lot more than just audience data to it right so when we talk about first party data actually 
you know, there's a lot more there that's useful to marketers. There's mm. product data, there's pricing data, there's all sorts of other competitive insights that we could help our customers with um, to, to gain a competitive advantage. Yeah, certainly. I, I just wrote a white paper actually for, um, for a company that specializes in tagging and organizing dark data. And there was a stat I saw from Gartner that 80% of data out there is effectively dark data, uncategorized, kind of not usable in its current state. So I suppose then there's a there's a, a responsibility and a task there for agencies to really help companies take advantage of the data that they don't even necessarily know they have. Justin, I can see you sort of nodding there. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of laughing because, uh, you know, a lot of times our customers come to us because their, their internal data structure and architecture is so messy that they don't even know where to start to try to clean it up and so in many ways we we kind of go in and start to peel away various components of it that we know um is is like the best place to start and then over time sort of build this overall infrastructure um in order to to really focus on um you know what what is sort of the the most controllable and the most cleanable versus some of the the more longer term you know, enterprise uh, level solutions that you need in order to kind of get all of that in line. So um, I, that, that definitely resonate, resonates a lot with um, what, what we're seeing from an enterprise perspective. And so is that something that you find companies are coming to you specifically for? Is that kind of that reorganization, yeah. that tagging? And it's almost easier for us to come in and 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 take the reins a little bit because we're, we're kind of a objective third party. And, mm. you know, when you get into you know, various internal silos and owners of, of various components of CRM systems or, um, you know, the uh, website analytics or marketing analytics or um, marketing data or, you know, the, the internal analytics and measurement teams, you know, a lot of times depending on the, the, the company and the brand, you know, there are varying degrees of silos. And so in many ways, we are the, the independent third party that kind of come in and, and ask for what we think is necessary um, in, in order to create the foundation and then from there, um, you know, really build that out and in, in, in terms of, you know, more of the, uh, you know, more mature digital uh, elements of, of taking your first party data and being able to uh, both activate on it and then uh, to Ashton's point, learn from it. Nice, fantastic. And then Ryan, to, to Justin's point now, I just wondered what you thought about the idea of being kind of that third party who is effectively coming in to look at an, another company's data. Is that a difficult process, I suppose, to come in and sort of say, well, actually, you know, this is this is something that effectively belongs to you and we're just kind of playing with it. Is that a difficult task to, to manage sometimes? It can be. I mean, there's um, the implications of getting access to the data in any form uh, yeah, have their complications, but there's there are just processes and ways that you need to go through to address that to make sure that you reassure people that having that objective third party is, is a safe and secure way of going about it. But mm. to go back to, to the original point, I think it's quite interesting. This is just a cyclical discussion, isn't it? Basically that we have about different things over time as agencies, it's like this inbuilt insecurity that has to happen. Is our agencies needed anymore? Um, you know, whether it's because Google built, built tools and systems that mean that clients can just plug in and do the things themselves or whether it's because content management systems are so good now that you never need you don't you don't even need to go to a web developer anymore it's the same same with data really isn't it it's, um you can yeah you can do a, a significant amount in-house you can you can obviously own the data and you can um you know and you can understand 
lots and lots of the potential to what to do with it, but there's never going to be uh, a, a time where I hope most clients would realise that not be arrogant enough to think there's not somebody else out there who might have something additional to offer, basically. I feel like some clients might, but yeah, absolutely. So I suppose then that leads neatly <laughs> on to the next I hope that I don't typically come across them. <laughs> and I think that's a, a good point that you made there, Ryan, as well, around like, you know, the in-housing process and will, you know, agencies ever not be needed? I think there's so many different ways that we can start with our clients, that we can see them where they're at in terms of their digital maturity and help them either through, you know, a support at the initial stem and empower them mm-hmm. and got that job to then take that on in-house themselves. And that's something that we advocate for, um, you know, taking on the kind of the tactical and sometimes the strategic as well to enable clients to spend more time internally actually working with one another and breaking down those organizational silos because it's usually the people and not the technology um, that's the problem. Well, we've, we've sort of leapt ahead a couple of questions, but this is, I think, really key to the discussion. It's this idea that, you know, when it comes to being data specialists, then, is that something that you that agencies can stake a claim on in its own right? You know, this idea that you can come in and basically um, be the kind of the, the one point of call for one point, one port of call rather for a client when it comes to better optimizing their data, better using their data, using the data in a way that potentially they didn't even think about. Is being a data specialist now just is that enough for an agency or do you need more beyond that i don't know who wants to take that question um i can take a swing at it uh i, I think it's i think it's table stakes at this point to be quite honest um i think especially in the context of where we, ha- we haven't really talked about the distribution and the publisher element of this as well so you know assuming you're in a spot where your house is in order and you sort of know uh, how and where you would like to, or you would like to test in, in activating various elements of, of your first party data. You know, mm-hmm. the, I think the agency uh, or the consultancy uh, can play, has to play a critical role in assessing, um, you know, what endpoints, what types of integrations, you know, what, what types of publishers um, you know, are really the, the best uh, uh, types of relationships that you want to form over time. Um, when we're talking about syncing and passing first-party data, um, and then and all of the sort of you know uh, tangential elements of a, a first-party integration that comes on the publisher side, so there there I think that as a not necessarily as an intermediary, but as a a, a conduit to um, the, the the best endpoints, I think you know the agency certainly has a role in um, understanding you know, what publisher relationships you need to maintain and then sort of what types of integrations you you need to to aspire to um, to, to reach uh, from an activation perspective. And could you elaborate slightly on what you mean then by publisher relationships in that sense? Yeah, I mean, you know, we, we talk a lot about, you know, customer match and um, one-to-one integrations with some of these, you know, call them walled gardens, that's the term everyone likes to use, but say, say like a, a Google customer match where you're tapping into to Google's, you know, logged in universe, you know, Facebook obviously is one that's been around for a while. Um, you know, even with trade desks, UID 2.0 um, or some of the other publisher solutions like Yahoo, formerly Verizon here in the States. Mm. Um, so a lot of the publishers have really, um, you know, re- really doubled down on, on their first party relationships and their subscriber bases. And, um, and so for us as sort of the, 
the, the intermediary or the third party, it's important for us to come to client A and say, hey, we think that this is based on your vertical, based on your business needs, this is the type of first party publisher relationship that you need to be cultivating. And here are the various elements of it um, from an activation perspective that we think we want to explore, whether that's you know, a certain channel, a certain medium, or just a, 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 you know, a, a standard um, you know, one-to-one relationship for matching for various elements of, of, of media or targeting, if that makes sense. And just to build out on that a bit, so beyond that side of things, and back to your original question there, Chris, around is being a data specialist enough? You know, we've invested a lot recently in media and brand planning and, and data planning functions that sit on top of all of that to provide the strategy layer mm. above the different capabilities to make sure that the different uh, teams within the organization do behave in a cohesive strategic way for brands to make sure that um, there's alignment between the top of funnel and bottom of funnel as well and consistent measurement throughout just to add on that to that as well i would say that you it's it's not enough to just be a data specialist it's it's an it's essential to be a data specialist but then that's just the that's just the foundation then yeah. you know, we could, there's none of us would be going into a pitch tomorrow and, and that would be our key selling point or we're data specialists because then we'll all be saying exactly the same thing and it's it's the other stuff around that and actually i suppose like ashton just referred to really it's kind of like Going back to the other stuff we've done for years, differentiating ourselves on that, but from a, maybe from a data perspective, trying to spin that out from, from some of the newer stuff that we can do with data nowadays. So what would be some examples of how you sort of build upon that? As you mentioned, it's table stakes now. It's no longer enough to just say, oh, actually, we do have kind of a specialism in data. So, Ryan, what would you build upon that? You know, how would you build upon that when you're talking to clients? What, what we tend to say to clients is that, um, kind of going back to the previous question as well, really, is how we want to make them more agile and more connected so i think justin mentioned that kind of refers to this as well it's like what do we add to that mix so the agility is is allowing us to provide the specialist specialist resource people that understand um understand all those platforms everything that's available in the market that that data landscape which is just not possible for the client to have full line of sight of and then from a connected perspective essentially and them understanding how those data sets and those platforms plug together and whether it literally is the fact that, we, that they already exist and, and work together in partnership or whether there's a way that you can build something or use use another connector to plug those two, two um, platforms together to get it to do so much more than it otherwise would, would do if, if those data sets were kept separate. Um, yeah. I would hope to do a better job of explaining that in a pitch to <laughs> 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 we, we would have a specific example and use case of <laughs> relevant to the client at the time so probably go into a bit more detail than that but hopefully that gives you the rough, the rough idea I feel the same about my intro Ryan <laughs> <laughs> oh it's all great um and you said you know you mentioned there the idea that you know that some the client can't be expected to stay across all these platforms you know that's my job to write about it and I can't stay across them all so absolutely there is still that need for kind of that um dem demonstrable specialism I suppose one of the things that we always hear from people is kind of the upcoming changes to the data landscape I feel like we've been talking to about it for years at this point so to what extent are there headwinds in terms of how we can actually monetize and use data on behalf of clients if i may just because i think how we think about this is really important you know when we talk about the changes in the industry and talk about it as an opportunity or a threat mm. actually i don't think that puts us in the right frame of mind to be customer centric it is just a fact on the ground 
this is what customers expect these days. So we need to keep pace with their expectations. It's fundamental. Um, okay, there may be short-term hindrances and longer-term opportunities here, but I think if we really look at it from a customer-centric point of view as to how can we build trust as a brand through giving the ability to, you know, opt in, opt out, review what data an organization has, um, when it was collected. I think all of that then gives the opportunity for a brand to build trust and hopefully for that trust to turn into loyalty. Equitable value exchange between a publisher, a, a consumer and a brand. And I think that you, you hit the nail on the head and that, you know, when, when there's choice and, and when you have the ability to control, um, you know, the, the, the level of, of data and, and, and privacy that, that both publishers and advertisers are, are able to access that, you know, it really then puts the impetus on the publisher and the brand to provide that meaningful value exchange. And so I think taking it out of the shadows, um, taking it out of the, you know, the background where um, it, it then truly becomes um, you know, you know, people like to say like the one-to-one -one relationship, it may not be a one-to-one -one relationship, but at least it gives, uh, it, it gives consumers a little more trust and control. I think ultimately that's not a headwind, it's a tailwind for us. Um, and I know too, um, from the publishing side, you know, for, for years and years and years, um, advertisers and programmatic media and bidders and algorithms put so much downward pressure on the monetization of these audiences um, and, and didn't really uh, prop up the, the content producers and the, and the publishers who spent so much time cultivating these audiences. If anyone is waking up today and is surprised by this and is calling this a headwind, then like you have not been paying attention for the past five years and you have not been planning for it. And, yeah. and, and frankly, like if you're saying that it's a threat, then, mm -hmm. you, then you missed the boat a few years ago and you should be seeing it as a massive opportunity. Um, and, and I think too, I don't, I don't know, last thing I'll say is, you know, I don't know what it's like in the UK, but here in the US, I've seen a pretty radical shift on the publisher side with paywalls and access to articles and content. And, you know, some of it is, is more dramatic from a paywall perspective. It's, some of it is more of just like, give me your email address after a certain number of articles. Yeah. But I'm, I'm really um, heartened by the fact that we're, you know, we're no longer allowing just unfettered access to content that then just uh, drives the, you know, the, the monetization element of it to the lowest common denominator. And we're really um, providing, um, you know, a, as I said before, like that, that value exchange backwards, like I think long-term that benefits everyone in this ecosystem. Yeah, certainly. It, it is similar in the UK in terms of, okay. yeah, yeah. So it makes sense. And Ryan, you were sort of nodding along there to both Ashlyn and Justin. Yeah, yeah, both, both points. I just want to jump on what Ashlyn said about the customer and just, I've been involved in so many discussions over the last few years where people get sucked into talking about the data, the technology, you know, the, 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 the complicated theoretical solution. Mm. And ultimately, unless you always come back to that point that we're talking about people and how best to get that audience to, you know, persuade that audience to do ultimately what we want them to do, then that's, that's the thing you've got to make sure you keep as your focus. So I totally agree with that point. And then again, just to reinforce what Justin said, essentially, just that, um, I think if there is a headwind, if you do call it a headwind or a threat, then it becomes more difficult. And by default, things that are more difficult have greater value, don't they? So, you know, it has been too easy. That, that race to the bottom, that lowest common denominator, which 
easy for you to say, um, <laughs> then, then, that's, then that essentially becomes, um, yeah, that we've just devalued that whole, that whole landscape, especially from a programmatic perspective, haven't we? Mm. Not, no offence, Justin, but, um, you know, that's, I think the opportunity there is to reduce the volume, increase the quality, and then, you know, essentially the publishers, I don't know if Dennis Publishing said anything to you about this in your conversation with them, Chris, but they should, it might be difficult, but they should therefore be able to, to charge more for it. That was exactly what they were saying. They were saying, yeah, they were saying that the kind of the fact that they do control so much more of this and they have that one-to-one relationship with audiences now means that they are able to do so much more of higher value. It's, I think it's fascinating that over the past couple of months, years now, that every time we talk about data, every time we talk about it, 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 it's always indivisible from that word trust. And so there is this kind of idea now that the, the public has been put back at the heart and audiences have been put back at the heart of the value exchange. So from what you've all seen, is there yet best practice in how to make sure that kind of the, the public feels that they are being respected in terms of data use? Because obviously we still see their fears around, you know, their, their data being used without their permission still rise to the top of the agenda. So beyond labeling, what is kind of best practice around making sure that the public feels respected? Sorry, it overlaps with this unified ID discussion as well it's this what is there going to be an ultimate solution that allows the the industry to do something similar to what it's done previously but in an improved privacy more secure manner and does the audience understand what's happening there as well i i would say absolutely not are we in any way shape or form at a position where that's understood what that's going to look like it's certainly that the audience understands that no no way um i would like to think that the audience and customers can see that, you know, that improvements are being made and that things are getting easier. But I still, no, I still think we're at the, the stage where people are thinking, oh, there's another, that's another overlay, you know, that's another pop-up I've got to click on asking me permissions. And uh, no, it's definitely broken at the moment. And there's a, there's a lot of room for improvement. I, I'm glad you mentioned UID 2.0 because that's, uh, that's one that I have significant questions on long-term and, you know, I think going back to the trust element, uh, the, the, one, the one part that I, I do feel confident in, we have a lot of retail brands where, you know, giving up your, you know, your credit card, your email address, et cetera, that, that, that there's a significant expectation of value exchange with a retailer, whether it's promotions, you know, whether it's, you know, sales, et cetera. Um, and so I, when we're activating customer first party data to a specific endpoint or to a specific publisher, um, I feel like there's a certain element of trust there in the sense that, you know, I, I consented to giving this, this brand my information and I would like to believe that what they do with it will protect me. And if they don't, I'll opt out. But where that gray area lies, going back to Ryan's point, is that if we're looking at a set of multiple ID graphs, let's say, you know, three separate ID graphs that are unified under UID 2.0, uh, to the extent where I log in on one graph and I consent to be logged in on this website, but then I go to another website that is connecting me to a completely separate ID graph that I did not consent to being tracked on. Long-term, I have significant questions as to the, the validity of that from a regulatory standpoint, um, because ostensibly what you're doing is cookie syncing, but with a larger consensual ID graph. And I, I, I don't know whether or not that's from a trust perspective, that's right or wrong. Yeah, I don't just know to I... add, add on that, I think 
finding workarounds and, and, and ways and means of, uh, of getting the data that we used to is perhaps not necessarily always the, the best approach, right? Um, you know, there's a lot that we can do server-side tracking-wise, for example, but question, then there are questions as well around, um, you know, whether we should be doing that. And I think back to your question, Chris, around uh, how do we really show the customer that we're respecting them at the heart of things? I think it's, it has to be lived and breathed within the organization. It can't just come from marketing it, or legal. You know, it needs to be at every touch point within the organization from, you know, sales and customer relationship management really is to have a deal with, with user data and first party data so that um, that organization, that brand really truly lives and breathes it. And it's not just, uh, it's, it's not just for, for show. That, see, that's really interesting because I've always seen it, and potentially this is just kind of me having missed the wider conversation. You're talking about it kind of being a holistic thing across a, a, a company's entire strategy. But for me, yeah. people always seem to separate separate out data and, pri and privacy around data from the rest of a company's activities, almost as though it's kind of a, an extraneous activity. So from your work with clients, then, is that not the case? Are they considering it very much as part of their overall marketing message to consumers is, you know, we are taking your, you know, we are, we are respecting you not just through data use, but through all our activities. I think it's very much part and parcel of the creative process. And I don't think that they ever should have been separated to begin with. Um, you know, when we look at like the performance of creative assets and being so intrinsically linked to digital performance, you know, I can't remember exactly where the stat was from. I think it was ad age where, you know, creative quality is 50 to 75% responsible for campaign success or failure. Um, these two have always been intrinsically linked and we for so long spent so much time focusing on hyper-targeted segmentation strategies mm. and maybe not necessarily always invested in the creatives that would then go with those different segmentations uh, for the impact, you know. Um, so some of the things that we look at now that just highlight how intertwined they are we do creative optimization using google vision ai to mm. essentially learn from the different creative formats as to what's working and then feed that back into the design process um with one of our clients that we can talk about that we did a case study of that's exactly what we did we looked at um like how many shoes should be in an ad um and and found the ideal number of variations through through that exact process so i think the two are so intrinsically linked and from you know justin and ryan your perspective is that the same have we sort of finally reached a, pl a place now where data isn't seen as this like, arcane process it's part and parcel of kind of the the day-to-day -day work that we do yeah i would hope so you know i mean uh advertising in, for its history has always been a creative led discipline, you know, and I think that we kind of lost that uh, in the early stages of the, the, the digital marketing world. Uh, you know, we were given sort of this vast ocean of information that we never had before. And at the beginning, we didn't know what to do with it, right? And so over time, um, we kind of figured out what to do with it. And then, you know, obviously humans when left to their own devices will do anything with, uh, in order to make a buck, right? And so unfortunately, um, you know, there were enough bad actors in the space that, you know, when when given the opportunity to do something, they would do anything without regard to, you know, stopping and thinking, should I actually do this sort of thing? And so hopefully we've gotten past that stage to say, you know, yes or no, we shouldn't be doing this. Now let's focus on what's important, which is, 
you know, the, what are we saying? How are we connecting with people? You know, what elements of the feedback loop that we do get because of the, the beauty of digital advertising, the beauty of digital marketing um, that is actually relevant to what ultimately is what is going to connect to the consumer, which is the creative that, you know, we, it's, it's kind of tired at this point, but it doesn't matter how targeted you are. If the message isn't there and you're not um, improving the message over time, then it's, it's completely irrelevant. So. Nice. I just um, sort of tie it all back to some of the other things that we've covered off today as well, Chris, which is um, I think it might be quite difficult for clients to look at data and creativity together and that's an opportunity for agencies is to is to be working with them to help those teams that they may already have internally but are probably working in different silos the agency there's an opportunity there for the agency to come in and, and be objective but also help join the two those, those two things up and, and make sure that those those teams and specialists are working together to get the most from both both of those specialisms nice fantastic um well thank you so much ryan for bringing that full circle that's uh that's a very, very nice, like, tight little narrative. So fantastic. Thanks for that. Um, so delighted to hear then that we've, we have moved on from this kind of Jurassic Park mentality of, you know, we, we can do anything so we should and back to a sort of much more streamlined and specific and hopefully uh, mutually valuable use of data when it comes to kind of the public and creativity. But we could have spoken about every single one of those topics for, I don't know, a podcast in its own right. So we might have to get you all back to discuss this in uh, greater length sometime in the near future. But for now, thank you so much to all three of you. Um, as a final question, where can listeners who want to pick your brains about anything you mentioned find you? So Ashlyn, where can people find you? Uh, you can send me an email, ashlyn.atool.jellyfish.com or you can get me on LinkedIn. Perfect. And Ryan? The best thing for me is definitely to search for, for Ryan Webb on LinkedIn and connect with me on there. Again, that'd be great. Perfect. And Justin? Yeah, uh, you can reach me at justin at pmg.com. You can also visit us on our various social media channels and also pmg.com. And then also, uh, can also reach me on LinkedIn like everyone else. <laughs> I feel like Justin's done this before. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Well, thank you all so much for taking the time to come on the Drum Network podcast. I'm sure that the audience will have gained a ton of valuable insight and hopefully we'll reach out to discuss in more detail some of the things that we barely had time to scratch the surface of. But for now, thank you so much. Thanks, Chris. Thank you, Chris. Thank you. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks, Justin. Thank, thank you. you.